Doesn't everybody have an inner critic? (laughs) The inner critic to me is, I just worked out, but that wasn't long enough or hard enough. Or I just cleaned the house, but I could have cleaned this or that or the other. Or I just got groceries, but I could have dropped off something for a friend. Or I just made a meal, but I could have made a meal for another family or this person or that person. There's always more that can be done. Story Enneagram Podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram trainer and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to hear from some self-preservation ones as part of this season's series on the self-preservation subtypes. The Enneagram self-preservation one is called Worry. They're ethically outstanding, decent, and kind. They have a gentle way in which they speak and act. Although anger is the passion of Enneagram type ones, The anger is least expressed in this subtype. However, it does show up as an active inner critic, like you heard from Jen in the opening. Have you wondered what it would feel like if even your very best efforts were never enough? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation ones to better understand how their mindset creates standards that can be difficult to live up to despite their very best efforts. The holy idea of the type one is perfection, and the self-preservation one manifests this by trying hardest to be perfect. They're idealists and can imagine how things could always be better. Vince has been a school teacher for many years. This is how he describes how he goes about his work. I frequently heard it called the perfectionist. I've seen that a lot of places. And although that rings true for me, What rings even more true is the idea of it being the improver and always looking for opportunities to improve things. Uh, I've even described it sometimes as I feel like I have infinite energy towards improving. And I see that both in my work and at home and everywhere that I am. I'm guessing that a variety of types see a situation and see how it could be better, see how it could be improved. For myself, I see that. I cannot imagine not implementing that improvement, and I I can't even comprehend that somebody else wouldn't do that. Uh, To me, that feels like maybe the unique aspect of being a one. And now here's Darcy describing her natural tendency towards improvement. Oh, I mean, after I had my first kid, my second thought was, how can I do this better next time and more efficiently? After After or on any vacation, I look at my husband and I'm like, what would you have done differently? What can we do better next time? And that is a constant in our life with almost every situation. It's like, well, how can I be better at whatever the situation is? I'm constantly thinking, even if it's something I'm not in charge of at work, like I wish people would ask me how to make things better. I can always help you fix things. Darcy shares how this drive for perfection showed up in the beginnings of her faith journey as a teenager. So I took it very seriously to be a Christian and followed every, I mean, I remember specifically thinking I want to be perfect for one day, like that Jesus was perfect and I wanted to be 
perfect. And like, then I would mess up and snap at my sister or something and then just feel devastated that I couldn't achieve that. The passion of each Enneagram type is the fuel for the behavior. For the one, the passion is anger. As I said earlier, this anger is the least expressed in this type one because of the self-preservation instinct. The anger flows inward and is largely kept to themselves. Listen to how Vince describes this. I think when I get angry, I'll get quiet. I think back to times when I've been really angry and I'll need to go away for a bit and make sense of it or even kind of write it out and make sense of it and even sometimes write it out and then pass on that note as my way of communicating and talking through it. And now here's Jen on anger. So anger for me is super embarrassing. It's even shameful to talk about. I wish it's it's my kryptonite, I guess. It's not something I'm proud of, but when my world feels chaotic, it can show up in frustration, in a rude tone of voice. For the one, anger can be seen as wrong. It's hard to admit feeling it. It's hard to openly express it. But if you ask an Enneagram one, it's there. Enneagram type ones are doers. They're going to channel that passion into action. Listen how Darcy's awareness of her anger is directed and expressed. Anger to me is a bad word. So it's hard when you read about that in your type. And then when you recognize it, it's like, oh, I am angry. But I get really angry and then I am able to cool down pretty quickly. But it's probably also always there. So at injustice, I get super mad. Then you push it down and eat it and you move on in your day. Or the other thing I was reading about this type is basically that you're a really nice person because you're so mad. Like if I get mad about something at school, let's say, then I just volunteer to be in that position to fix it. Darcy's anger transforms her into a really nice person who does things to improve the situation. As I mentioned in the opening, the self-preservation one type's name is worry. They concern themselves with doing all they can to take ownership of the situation. They can take on adult responsibilities and concerns, even as a young child. From the time I was little, I have always loved mowing. My dad taught me how to mow when I was 10. I've always had a very organized closet. I loved cleaning the pantry. I organized my school supplies. I've always had a neat calendar. All of those things bring me great joy because there's order from chaos. I think is when we talk about the gifts of the one, I think that's one of them. I can create order from chaos. When I was little, 10, we moved from St. Louis to Kansas City and there was unpacking that had to be done. And so I just began and my mom just looked at me and shook her head and said, she's organized the entire house. It just came out of me. Vince goes on to describe how he can be perceived and what worry looks like for him. My youngest, who is probably the most creative and fun of our group, uh, early on uh, gave me the nickname Death of the Party. And 
Uh, it was both fantastic and totally true that <laughs> that I would be the death of the party. I guess nagging sense of I've got things coming up that I need to take care of. In our house, we talk about the Sunday scaries that when the stopwatch on 60 Minutes comes on, then I've got this anxiety of am I ready? Am I well prepared for my teaching week that is coming up? And that's that's still true, you know, over 20 years into it. Here's how Darcy describes what she was like as a student. Um, so I am a straight-A student. <laughs> um, I always got things done. I always got done things got things done quickly. I've never been to the principal's office. You know, I never got in trouble. My mom would joke that she never needed to go to parent-teacher conferences because the teacher had nothing to say from year to year that was different from the past. Vince remembers his natural tendency to just do what he was supposed to do. So as far back as I can recall, I just remember being like that, of doing what I was supposed to do and doing the right thing. As I looked at my brother and sister, they went through some things that didn't go well for them, through some choices that they made. And I saw how my mom and dad reacted to that. And so I'm sure that that contributed to my personality and the choices that I've made. Taking personal responsibility is a great thing especially when things are chaotic. But it can tilt too far into becoming overly responsible for things that are beyond your control. And you know what? That can lead to a lot of worry. Here's how Vince described how that showed up as a teacher. For me, it's been my wife pointing out, like, hey, this is really affecting you. Uh, Even something as particular as a low test score for one of my students that it would really bum me out, bother me, really affect my mood in a way that it was as if it were my problem or as if it were a reflection on me. Vince was worried about taking responsibility for the lesson, but also for the students studying their performance and their grade. Darcy reflected on the weight she felt for her parents as a teenager. So in reading about the worry type, I saw that it's normally people who grow up in a chaotic household. And I was thinking about it and I did not. My parents were absolutely parents. They, our home was very stable, but then I became a Christian and I took on the burden of quote unquote saving my parents. But per the church I went to's definition, they were not going to heaven. And so then that burden was on me to fix them and save them. And I, that is likely what made me more of a worrier is being really concerned because those are eternal consequences that are extremely stressful for a 13 year old's mind. In these stories, you can hear how both Darcy's and Vince's concerns go beyond what they can influence. Everyone can struggle with boundaries where I need to end and where you begin, but they're gray areas. The body types, 8, 9, and 1, are in the command and control center. One way to alleviate some of this worry is to decide what you'll be concerned with and what you can let go of. Listen to how Vince describes 
his approach to simple house projects. My wife and I are, are similar in a lot of ways, and we do lots of things together. When it comes to painting, we work separate. We realized a few years back that the way we paint is just uh, not a good match. And the truth of it is, I see a certain way to paint. I'm good at it this way. It works well. She sees a different way to get it done. I can't do it that way. And I, <laughs> I know the end result is that the way she does it is faster and it ends up being absolutely good enough. And yet, nope, I can't do it that way. Self-preservation ones create stable and predictable environments. They're reliable. They're great at planning ahead. However, life doesn't always go according to plan. Here's Darcy's take on unexpected events and surprises. I already have summer planned out for my kids, right? Like that was planned in November of this year. We're recording in February. Um, camps have been booked. So something like a snow day is terrible for me. If, especially if you don't know, like I look at the weather to know, are we going to have a snow day tomorrow? And can usually predict and prepare and prepare myself mentally. But if surprises are very hard, I guess. And they were probably hard as a kid too. Like I did, my mom and dad threw me a surprise party for my 18th birthday and that's not fun. Those, the commercials where your spouse surprises you with a car, that's a terrible idea. Self-preservation ones have an internal dialogue a constant voice in their head that we call the inner critic. Everyone has an inner critic, but for these types, it's working 95% of the time. Here's what those voices can sound like. Shows up in how I'm afraid that I'm doing something wrong, afraid that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I see it especially in my, my parenting that I'm, I'm worried, I'm fearful that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my kids, not setting them up for the future. The inner critic is what stood out the most. So just having, realizing that not everyone has something in their head constantly telling them every single thing that they do wrong from you didn't pick up that trash that you walked by to maybe bigger things in your life um, was really interesting because you don't necessarily ask people things in that are normal to you. You just assume are normal to everyone else. Just how messy the house is and how you don't have everything together. And I was all of a sudden never on time. So those are the very specific things at that time period. But it's been always, you know, your grades aren't good enough or you're not involved in enough activities or volunteering enough or I think enough and then the words you should are what I hear a lot in my head. You should this. You should be cleaning instead of laying on the couch and reading a book. You should be volunteering at church instead of relaxing on the weekend. It goes. It can go on forever. It can go on forever. If you ever feel like ones are being critical, you have no idea how hard they are on themselves. What they need is a break. Instead of raising the bar, they need to lower it. They need to question why it seems wrong to put play before work. Here's what Darcy has found helpful. I had a therapist once that told me that if I am literal, so the specific example was this house is trashed. She said that would trigger 
the anxiety part of my brain because it, the anxiety part of your brain, she said, takes it very seriously. And so your anxiety spikes. And so talking to myself more nicely, and in that specific instance, she said, you say, this house is cluttered. And then it calms you down because you don't think, oh, I'm a terrible person because my house is a trash pit. It's just a little cluttered right now. Um, so I think learning to talk to myself more nicely, learning the things that I need to function and be well. So we hired a house cleaner because I, I need the house to be clean for me to be well. And my joke is, but it's serious, that a house cleaner is cheaper than therapy. So we pay to have our house cleaned. Um, and then just allowing myself pleasures. Like I let myself lay on the couch and read a book and relax on a Saturday morning. Recognizing that it's going to be fine. Things are going to be okay. And it's not on me. It's not my job. I'm just trying to recognize that, you know, I have a part to play in what I do and how I interact with others. But how things work out for them and how they do is not a reflection on my worth, my value. I'm accepted, I'm loved, regardless of how that plays out. And here's what Jen learned about giving herself a different message. We have eight chickens. And one day I was observing the chickens and noticing that our littlest chicken produces the smallest egg but for a while she was the only one who was producing eggs and I have four other birds that are big beautiful birds who should be pushing out eggs they weren't doing anything and I just had this thought that this little chicken is not having conversations with these big birds about what they're doing or not doing she's just doing what she was created to do she's doing the egg that she's supposed to do so that was like an aha moment for me of, I don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing or even what my expectation of the egg I should produce is. I'm just going to produce the best that I can do any given day or any given situation. And here's Darcy again. We think we can make things perfect, but in reality, that's not something to be achieved. Richard Rohr writes in the book, Everything Belongs. The only true perfection available to us is the honest acceptance of our imperfection. Accepting our imperfections hard for everyone, but most so for this type. Here's Jan again. Last week before I was about to leave to go somewhere, my daughter and my husband were sitting on the couch and my daughter who's nine asked me to come give her a hug. I was in my snow boots. I was like, I, Hattie, I cannot hug you. My boots are dirty. I can't walk across this rug. And then I had this like, uh, what are you doing moment? And so I walked right across the rug and hugged my daughter who wanted to hug me. Who cares if your boots are dirty? I gave her a hug and walked out the door going, okay, you're learning. Okay. You're learning. I imagine that hug felt way better than just keeping that carpet clean. That's it 
for this episode of the Story Enneagram podcast. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is a one who struggles with their inner critic, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to give yourself a break and live a little? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer solutions for the workplace and training sessions for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.